0: I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey, everybody. How's it? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the Ninety Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. And on this edition of the show, we're going to be discussing Martin Odegaard's incredible interview With the Players' Tribune, we'll be bringing you the latest on Gabriel Jesus' fitness as he continues his recovery and steps up his recovery, you could say, ahead of a potential, fingers crossed, return next month. And we're going to spend a significant chunk of the show answering you guys' questions from the live chat box. Really, really uh, looking forward to this one today. Um, As you can probably tell by my voice, again, I've got a cold. Again. I don't know what I can do to stop this. Like I seem to get like four or five of them a year like and quite badly as well. And obviously I just keep going and I, I get through it and, you know, work is work and you've got to power through. I never used to get them this often before. So I'm convinced it's my kids. Has anyone else got young kids that go to nursery, pick up colds, come home, bring them home, give them to you. And then they're all fine and past it and you're still sitting there. Um, sort of wiping your nose and struggling to breathe. Yeah, big problem for me, an ongoing problem. Hopefully, as they get older, it'll get easier. Um, but yeah, my God, I do blame them. I really, really do. Um, I know you probably don't care, but kind of explains why I didn't do a show on Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday, I was just mad busy. Um, I was out from the morning until 1 a.m. the next morning uh, with work commitments. But Tuesday, I just wasn't feeling up to it. I did plan to do a Q&A. I made the thumbnail and everything, and I was ready to go, but just didn't feel up to it and thought rather than sit here and butcher it, I'll just let it go. Let's say a few hellos uh, to some of you in the live chat. We've got uh, Tom, who says, uh, good afternoon, Harry, and chat. We've got Jason. We've got Archangel, who says, uh, Greek time, indeed. Um, Temi says, uh, Harry never reads my messages. Well, there you go. Um, there you go. Uh big hello to Corede, uh, to Sco, who says, wow, this was great timing. Just logged in to YouTube. Um, nice surprise. Hi, Harry. Hi, everyone else. Uh, Steve says, good evening. Everybody bad boy says hi, Harry in chat. Uh, Tom says, yep, I always used to get ill after seeing my nephew and nieces over Christmas when they were young. There you go. Hantumi um, talks about the Martin Odegaard interview. We're going to do a real deep dive into that because uh, – I'm so honoured to say that Ben Haynes, who heads up the Players' Tribune and who made this piece with Martin Odegaard is a really good friend of mine and a colleague. And um, and every time he produces one of these, I'm just in awe of how good they are, of how good the guests are. I mean, most of you will remember the Granite Shaka one and the impact that that had and, and what it kind of... I think opened a lot of the fan base's eyes to about what he was going through during that difficult period. And sort of obviously he's come off the back of that now really strong and, and, and much more popular than he was prior to that piece. Obviously, his performances on the pitch have played a big part in that as well. But I think the piece was really, really powerful. So they've done one with Granite Xhaka. They did one with Gabriel Martinelli not too long ago, which you can find on the Players' Tribune website. And now this one with Martin Odegaard. And uh, when, when Ben showed me this, I was blown away by it. And I'm so glad that it's there for everybody to see now because I think it's, it's fantastic. And it's starting to pick up the traction that it deserves. Uh, so, yeah, um, enjoy it. We're going to go through some of the key bits. I'm going to share my screen and really highlight some of the bits that I think are so, so powerful. But regardless of that, obviously, I encourage you to make sure that you go over and check it out. In full, as an Arsenal fan, as a football fan in general, you won't be disappointed by this piece. I think it is fantastic. Uh, A couple more hellos and then we'll dive into that. Uh, Big hello to Silas. Uh, Temi says, uh, what are your thoughts on United's three-day title charge? Longest title charge in history, that, isn't it? Hutch Angel says, yep, kids are basically (laughs) bioweapons. It feels like that. Hassan says, hi, Harry, we go through the same thing with our kid. I feel a lot better now, now that I'm not the only one um steve says with regards to colds a hundred percent remedy for you man up it's a good point it's a good point i do try and soldier on but do you know what it is steve in my previous career right i spent so much of the day just sitting behind a computer screen like just responding to emails and you know doing things that way that i didn't really have to talk all that much so when i felt like this i could literally dose up on paracetamols, neurofens, if I was a little bit dozy it was fine, sit behind my and basically just get on with it Um, but I can't do that now, (laughs) I have to talk and when you when you have a cold, we've spent a long time chatting about colds, I know there's going to be people that are bored shitless about this and I apologize and I'm expecting you to go at me in the comments but when you get a cold you speak a little bit because you think you're fine. And, you know, you'll you'll talk to your kids and talk to your wife and you'll answer their questions and whatever. And you, you have small conversations and you think, yeah, you, you know what, I'm fine. And then you sit there and chat for 45 minutes to a camera in front of a microphone by yourself like this. And it takes it out of you. <laughs> and you realize that actually I wasn't well enough to do this. Uh, Nico says, uh, good morning. Tuning in from work. Happy to catch you live again. Happy to see you in the chat, mate. Thank you. And Ivan says, good afternoon, Harry. Hair looking crisp. Thank you very much. Um, Right, let's get into this Martin Odegaard piece then. Um, Love the title. Love the imagery. Um, It's called North London Forever. And that ties in nicely, doesn't it, with kind of the way things are at Arsenal at the moment. You know, the feeling around the club, the mood around the club is just so positive. Like, it really, really is. And um, to kind of read this piece and sort of, I don't know, like, you know, you read these pieces and obviously you're interested to hear a player's story and a lot of it will be stuff that you already know. But there'll always be bits in these types of things that grip you as a fan of of that particular club. And I think when you go through this with Martin Odegaard, there are a lot of bits that you think are, yeah, really, really interesting. So he talks about the fact that he always had a weird connection to Arsenal and it started long before he signed. Um, He talked about sort of his love for Arsenal through playing the FIFA video games, uh, the career mode. He used to always pick Arsenal. He always used to sign himself. And, you know, sometimes you hear these stories and you think, yeah, they're just saying it because, um, you know, they play for that club now and it looks good and it's a great PR move. But actually with Martin Odegaard, you get the feeling that this is really, really genuine. Um, He says that him and Arsenal just seem like a good match in, in his head. He talks a lot about his dad's influence in his career. And one of the things he talks about in the piece is his ability to kind of just receive the ball on a turn using that lovely deft touch that he has to go one way or the other and just spinning away from people. That's a massive, massive feature of Martin Odegaard's game. And one of the things that has allowed us to break lines really quickly as a team, because often you can ping the ball into him and that ability to spin or lay off to someone and spin it just allows us to break another line a lot more quicker than we would have in the past. In the past, it might have taken us two or three passes to break a line, whereas now with with the ability that Martin Odegaard has to do that, but also to play passes through the line and the ability we have to do that deeper in the pitch now, you know, from Partey or from White or from Saliba, Gabriel Zinchenko, it just allows us to be that that bit more aggressive. And Martin Odegaard's a massive part in this. And he talks a lot about how that ability to turn away from people and to understand what's going on around him and to be able to read the space around him is a consequence of his dad's coaching. His dad was his coach for a long, long time. And his dad was someone that really pushed him really hard. And and also one of the fascinating things about this, I think, is you get the sense that Martin Odegaard's surroundings um, are the right surroundings in terms of the people that he's got around him. He's got the right entourage. He's got the right people, basically with the right intentions around him. Like it's a small group, it's a humble group and it's people, you know, often as it is when it's family that genuinely have his best intentions at heart. But he talks about that ability to spin away, as I was saying, and that comes from his dad. He says, when you see me turn away from a defender using that touch and my quick reading of the game, that's the sports hall. That's my dad. So he talks about, um, the fact that he, he was, you know, often told by his dad about the importance of developing his awareness and quick feet um, and that he was always getting him to kind of look over his shoulder before receiving the ball. And in the winter, when they couldn't play outside, he went to an indoor sports hall and they would do this drill where he would play the ball off a bench and it would bounce back to him. And his dad would come up behind him, pressing him from one side or the other. And he had to look just before receiving it to then be able to adjust and go one way or the other. Um, which is really cool. And there's some fascinating images in this as well. And there is a YouTube video as well, right? So if you scroll right down to the bottom of this article, the link is in the description. You will be able to click on the YouTube video and watch the video format. But the video is a condensed version. Uh, this piece in full is um, is uh, is obviously where you get the most insight. Um, he talks about when he came to London Colney to meet Arsene Wenger, uh, there A lot was made of the fact that Martin Odegaard was linked with Arsenal prior to him joining Real Madrid. Um, and he says, you know, I'm not just saying this. I was actually close to choosing Arsenal when we went there. I got to train at London Coney. I met Arsene Wenger. He took me and my dad out for dinner. That was cool and strange. Um, and then he tells quite a funny story about uh, that meeting with Arsene Wenger, the fact that he was... Um, wondering if Arsene Wenger was kind of analyzing him at the dinner table he said is he going to judge me if I eat fries maybe I should just leave them and you know that was the extent of the respect he had for Arsene Wenger and you know he was worried he was concerned that you know any little slip-up would give Arsene Wenger the wrong idea or paint the wrong picture Um, so that was really interesting but he's honest and he says that you know when Real Madrid come calling it is bloody Real Madrid like Unless you're a diehard, avid Arsenal fan, most people would find it hard to turn down Real Madrid. Um, You know, they are an unbelievable club. And he talks about the fact that he went around and visited a number of European clubs. And there was a point where, you know, they had a number of offers on the table. And he said he remembers sitting with his dad on the sofa, watching a Real Madrid game on TV. And at one point he turned to me with his phone in his hand and said, is it time? Should we tell them? tell them that they're accepting their offer. But then he goes on to talk about, you know, the the experience at Real Madrid. He talks about the presentation day. Uh, They got picked up from Norway uh, by a plane very early in the morning. Um, And he said that he was still half asleep, that his hair was all over the place, that he didn't have time to shower. And he just put on whatever whatever clothes he could grab quickly, uh, threw something smarter into the bag. Um, And figured that once he got to Real Madrid uh, or or to Madrid, he'd have the opportunity to change, shower uh, and prepare himself uh, for this press conference, this unveiling. But then they landed, they got off the plane and he realized that they were taking him straight to uh, the training ground to do the medical and then the press conference. So there was going to be no hotel stop. And he says, I know a lot of people talked about this at the time because he just looks like this this kid that doesn't really understand the magnitude of what's just happened. The fact that he has just signed for the biggest football club in the world. Um, and he was like, wait, we're, we're doing this now. And you can see this image here. If you're watching us on YouTube of an ill-prepared Martin Odegaard for his, uh, Real Madrid unveiling. Um, I will take it on a little bit. Uh, and he talked, um, about the fact that although he didn't say an awful lot at the press conference, he felt that the press conference kind of helped people understand what he was going through as an individual. You know, yes, he was this 16-year-old that the football world was talking about and that a number of top elite European clubs had gone out to try and sign. But at the end of the day, he was just a shy little kid. And I think what this did, what this press conference probably did for him was just reset people's expectations a little bit of what Martin Odegaard was. I think people looked at the signing and they went, my God, Real Madrid are moving for a 16-year-old. This must be a big deal. He must be a big deal. He must be the real deal. But, you know, they were bringing in potential. The potential that we as Arsenal fans are now lucky enough to see sort of coming out and, and coming to fruition. But he just... You know, he was this shy little kid. And I think that the press conference, as he says himself, probably did good for him in that it just kind of reminded people of of where he was as a man. Um, he talked about the loan spells. You know, he went out to here in vain. He went to Vitesse. He spent some time uh, with Real Sociedad. He went out there initially on a two-year loan deal. Um, but then, unfortunately, he was... Well, yeah, I say, unfortunately, he was recalled early by Real Madrid with the intention of him being a part of the team, being included. But that never happened. And then very quickly, he had to get out again. And, you know, Arsenal was there. And then when he finished his loan spell at Arsenal, he wanted to stay at the club. The club clearly wanted him because they went and signed him uh, just a little while after. But Real Madrid had again made a play to say, you're our player. We want you. We need you. You're not going anywhere. And so he returned to Real Madrid. And he says that after kind of discussions with Carlo Ancelotti, he realized that actually Real Madrid didn't want me anywhere near as much as I thought they did, as much as they had maybe suggested prior to the summer. And he felt like he needed to go. He says, and I think this is a really powerful bit. He says, maybe if I'd been Spanish, I might have been given a bit more time to grow. Honestly, I don't know. In the end, it's just the nature of the hype machine. There is no in-between in modern football. You're either the best signing in history or you're shit. Um, And then he goes on to say, listen, I want to make it clear. I'm not complaining about my time at Real Madrid. Not at all. Going to Real Madrid was a good thing for me. I learned so much about what it takes to reach the top. I watched, trained, and learned from the best players in the world. My idols. I played at the Bernabeu. I would learned to be tough and to face challenges. It's part of who I am now it's the reason where i am today so martin odegaard not wishing to throw mud at real madrid just wanting to highlight that you know he didn't really feel like he had a home there he didn't really feel like he was ever going to get the opportunities that he needed to take his game on to the next level talks about those loan spells um in the netherlands and he says i needed to find a place where i could settle i needed to find an actual home and i found it in north london um which is amazing. He also talks in this piece about um, about the team and its development. Um, and he talks about Mikel Arteta's influence as well. Um, I'll just read you this, this extract. He says, um, this little memory in the back of my mind just flashed up. The second my agent mentioned that Arsenal were interested, just referring to the career mode thing that I touched on earlier, he said it just felt right. I spoke to Mikel Arteta on a Zoom call and he told me all about the project. At the time, Arsenal were not doing well. They were way down, like 15th in the table. But that meeting, honestly, I challenge anyone to come away from a meeting with Arteta and not believe everything he tells you. He is next level. It's hard to explain. He's passionate. He's intense. And sometimes, yeah, he's a bit crazy. But when he speaks, you understand that whatever he says will happen, will happen. He told me his plan, everything he was building towards. He knew exactly what needed to change at the club. He told me about all these amazing young players in the squad. Saka, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, etc, etc. He told me how he wanted me to fit in and how I was going to improve. I got this strong feeling that he was onto something really special. Not that I needed any more convincing, but I also got so many messages from Arsenal fans on Instagram telling me to sign. Not just me, my whole family, friends and everyone I follow. Such an amazing, active fan base. Random people I know would show me how the comments on their posts were full of stuff like, tell Martin to sign for Arsenal. That was just wow. So for once, our fan base online did something positive. Um, He talks about uh, the fact that the fans have been amazing with him, and and they have. And, you know, he talks about the atmosphere at the place nowadays. is amazing. Um, And, you know, he also goes on to talk about how difficult it was to play without fans. That wasn't easy. Um and he also said that even at the end of his first season here, the 2020-21 season, when Arsenal finished eighth, it seemed like no one at the club had lost faith in what we were doing. Everyone believed in us and it was all part of the plan. Even last season, when things got really tough, obviously we took it hard losing out on Champions League qualification when it was in our hands like that. But we learned from that experience and we came back closer, stronger, and hungrier. And there's a really interesting quote here where he says, if there's anyone left. Who still doesn't fully believe in this team, take it from me, there are no limits on what we can achieve. Talks about his how proud he is of being the club captain. Um, and I think, you know, that's what you want as an Arsenal fan. You want to hear um you want to hear things like that. You want to hear that the people that are in those positions understand the significance of them, understand what they mean to the fans, and will give them the love and attention that they deserve. There's a couple more interesting bits I want to pick out. But again, I urge you guys to go over, read this. The link is in the description below. And if you go down to the end of that page, you'll find the YouTube video linked as well, um, which is which is great as well. Um, I'm going to come to some of your comments on this in a minute. I just got right into the flow of this. Um, he says uh, that after the win over West Ham on Boxing Day, game that, of course, Arsene Wenger attended. He said he got the chance to speak to him. He said it was the first time he'd been back to the Emirates since 2018. And the first time I'd seen him since that steak and fries all those years ago. We had a good chat and he mentioned that he'd kept a close eye on my career, even after I chose Madrid. He was honest and said that at one point he was actually worried about the way things were going for me. But now he's so happy to see me doing well in the right environment. He said he'd recognized something ever since I left Norway. It's like everything has felt sort of temporary. I haven't had that stability, that real deep connection until now. And that's so important. This is the bit that will make you well up as an Arsenal fan. Whenever I lead the team out at the Emirates, I have this moment to myself. I want to really feel the atmosphere, that electricity from the fans. I always listen as they play North London forever over the speakers. And I start singing along under my breath. I get goosebumps every time I close my eyes and I think about myself as a kid out on that artificial pitch in Drammen. If you'd have shown that kid a snapshot of this moment and told him this was his future, he would have died for this. It's been a hell of a long road, but I'm living my dream. I'm home and the best is yet to come. Read that and tell me that you don't love Martin Odegaard. What a man um and as i say you can find uh, the piece on the players tribune website but i just wanted to share that with you guys cuz it's a fantastic piece look it's going to get the coverage that it... but i'm always in awe of how good the work is that the guys over at the players tribune do and um i just wanted to, to highlight it and um and share some of the, the big uh, the big bits the key bits from it um so yeah fantastic stuff OK, um, let's go over to the chat and see what some of you guys uh, are saying uh, across the pond. Uh, Moss says, amazing young man. I have his pics in my office and clients keep asking me, is that me when I was young? I can see it a little bit. I can see it a little bit. Um, I, I know where you're coming from. Uh, Steve Stone says uh, he has won something. He's won my heart. Um, and Moss also goes on to say, and 40% of the... Of, of the clowns online one in madison instead do you know what i remember that summer and i remember having countless debates with people who were insisting that we should assign buendia instead well is we uh, we can see um what the right decision was now can't we um it, it's clear to see for everybody i don't think there's even a debate or a discussion there uh, around that at the moment Okay. Um, Let's move on. Let's talk Gabi Jesus. The Brazilian is, uh, of course, on his way back uh, to fitness. Um, It's going to be a while. Look, The plan was to hopefully get him back involved at some point next month. And from all accounts, it seems that we are at least on track to do that. He's back at London Colney, as was reported yesterday by Charles Watts, um, which is obviously a good sign. He, He spent some time at the beginning at London Coney, and then went abroad to do some rehab, has since returned. And there were some reports today that he was doing some light ball work. I don't know how true that is, so I don't want to say, yeah, it's definitely the case. Uh, But there are reports that, you know, if not ahead of schedule, Gabriel Jesus is at least on schedule. And that's really, really important because, yeah, you know, Eddie's done a good job and I've enjoyed most of what Eddie's brought to the table. I think there have been a couple of games where he's been a little bit ineffective, And I looked at those games and thought that maybe Jesus would have made a difference because of his ability to influence the game more outside of the penalty area, I would say, but you know, that's not to knock Eddie. He's just a slightly different type of player. And, and, um, you know, he's done a wonderful job, but to get that Jesus boost, if we can stay in a similar position to the one we are in now could really be the difference between us getting over the line and not, but you know, it's, it's something that can happen. You you can get setbacks coming back from long-term injuries. So we need to kind of be cautious of that, mindful of that. It's also the case that players, when they've been out for a long time, need a bit of time to get back into the flow, back into the rhythm. And the way that Gabby Jesus plays, it's kind of all or nothing. Like you, you feel like you need a fit Gabby Jesus to get the real Gabby Jesus. You can't have a Gabby Jesus that's reluctant to go into challenges from fear of what might happen you can't have the uh, Gabby Jesus that is hamstrung by the injury and concern around that injury so that's that's really really important and the fact that Eddie's doing a good job means that we don't have to rush Jesus back which is for me the key point here so that's obviously positive news Um, I want to take some questions uh, and some thoughts from you guys Uh, before we wrap up this edition of the show. Not a very long one today, but um, we're keeping our powder dry ahead of the Arsenal versus Brentford preview show that we're going to be dropping tomorrow around lunchtime. Uh, We're going to be breaking it down. We're going to be looking ahead to that game. We'll be talking about the difficulties I expect us to face, how we should uh, take those on and the problems that I think Mikel Arteta might have over the next few weeks. I've got some opinions. I've got some thoughts on that, which I'll share with you guys tomorrow. But for the time being, Stick some of your questions into the live chat box. We'll get through as many of those as we possibly can. Uh, just quickly as well, um, I did a video on my personal channel, which you can check out again uh, via the link right at the bottom of the description. If you head over there and subscribe, I'll be very, very grateful. Um, and I'd really, really appreciate it. But over there, we talk um, quite a bit about the Super League proposal, the new Super League proposal as I say at the start of that video we knew we'd won the battle when it came to the Super League but we knew that we hadn't won the war and you know this idea has resurfaced again it's reared its ugly head again I'm not going to go into as much detail as I did on that video if you want to check it out as I say the link to the channel is in the description but essentially the problem for me is that European football in general needs a massive reset and I actually think the idea of a Super League means nothing and does nothing unless the domestic leagues are competing from a more level playing field. And how does that happen? I think that there need to be... How, how do I put this? What, what are the words that I want to use here? I think that there needs to be... A bit more of structure around the way clubs do things there needs to be more rules there needs to be more guidelines guidelines is the wrong word because guidelines are just there to guide you but basically i think ffp needs to exist but it needs to exist in a much stronger form and it needs to be policed much more stringently than it is currently and once you do that then you get to a position where in terms of the domestic leagues, it is a more level playing field. It's never going to be completely level because the Premier League is one thing and La Liga is another and the Serie A is another and the Bundesliga is another. I'm not suggesting that we're ever going to get to a point where they're all on a level playing field, but the gap has just grown wider and wider and wider. And you can bang on all you like about the Super League and you can talk about taking UEFA out of the middle of it and you can talk about um the need or the want or the demand for more high profile matches which is another thing that was put across as one of the reasons the super league would be a good idea but if those high profile matches are between premier league sides and la liga sides that are much much weaker then all of a sudden that appeal isn't there it would be like watching your side play domestically against the mid-table side there wouldn't be that appeal so it's in the interest of everyone, that the playing field, I think, is leveled out a little bit more or as much as it possibly can be. And the only way UEFA get people's respect back, and the only way UEFA convince a lot of these clubs that have obviously expressed an interest, there was talk today about 60 to 80 clubs going to be involved in this new proposal. The only way that somebody like UEFA gets back the respect is if they show to everyone that they are actively trying to make that a reality. They are actively trying to level the playing field as much as feasibly possible otherwise those clubs are going to do what suits them and and I understand where they're coming from although I am against the concept of a super league so so much to unpack there but I explain it a little bit more concisely and in a little bit more detail on that video so if you want to check it out please do okay let's take a couple of your questions uh moss says don't you think not only ffp needs upping in standards but the tv deals And spreading the money around the European clubs needs to start happening before any talk of the Super League. Yeah. And in a nutshell, it's kind of what I've I've just said, like you're never going to get to a place where every league is worth the same in terms of its broadcasting rights, in terms of the revenue that it generates, in terms of its global appeal. I don't expect that. I'm not unrealistic. I know that the Premier League has a much wider reach and appeal than any other league in world football right now. but There needs to be some sort of caps in place. Like for me, there needs to be spending caps in the Premier League. There needs to be salary caps in the Premier League. I think it's so important that we do that. And yeah, clubs work within their own means. And if you're in a league that happens to generate more revenue, therefore you as a football club generate more revenue, you should be absolutely well within your rights to go out and spend more money than a club that generates less revenue. But what's happened is... We put FFP in place with the hope that that was going to control this. What's actually happened is the gaps got wider, which means FFP is a failure. And I think the concept was right, but the application of it was wrong. I don't think it was policed clearly. Look at Man City, anywhere near as well as it should have been. And now we're in a situation where that gap is so big that it might be irreversible. And you can talk all you like about Super Leagues, as I say, and the necessity for more big games between more big clubs. But if Milan-Spurs, for example, is no longer an event like I expect it to be now, you know, like years ago, Spurs would have looked at Milan and gone, shit, man, that's AC Milan. And now most people believe that Spurs are going to be AC Milan. And that kind of highlights for me where we're at today the fact that it's not even seen as, as much of a contest. If you think about the, this wider discussion, one of the things I said on Nightingale earlier today was like, you know, somebody like Brighton, great club, really well run, obviously using the riches that come with the Premier League in a very smart and efficient way. That's why they are where they are today. Won't be long before they're in Europe, probably. They would come up against a club like Milan and, and probably beat them. And then at that point, you'd have to look and go, well, it's not because... Brighton are a bigger football club than Milan it's not because they're a more prestigious football club than Milan certainly doesn't go along with football heritage that Jose Mourinho once referenced what it does is highlight the disparity between the Premier League and everybody else and you shouldn't penalize the Premier League clubs because they're better run but you have to recognize and acknowledge why they've been allowed to pull away so much. So, yeah, it's it's interesting, man. It's it's a really interesting debate discussion. You, you could go on about this for hours. It's it's one of those open up a can of worms. Um, Mofasa says, uh, how many red cards would Lisandro Martinez have if he played for Arsenal? Jokes aside, watching teams get away with murder against us makes me glad we don't have to rush Jesus back. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's impossible for me to tell you how many cards he'd have got, but, you know, he you do feel sometimes like Arsenal get the harsh end of it. You do feel like sometimes we're looked at in a different way. I mean, in years gone by, I certainly felt that way. I certainly felt like that. At the height of Venga's success, I felt like even though we were successful, even though we were fantastic, um, even though, you know, we we went on to win things and and we did incredibly well. You always felt that there was a bit of an agenda against us. And people talk about that existing even before that. I don't remember it before that. So I can't really comment, but you know, I remember sort of going up against Man United and feeling like we had to be even better um, because we had to beat the referees and beat the officials as well. And Arsenal have had this reputation that's followed them around. And it drives me crazy. Like, and I think where you can really see that more recently is not really on the red cards. Like, I mean, we have had a fair few under Mikel Arteta. Some were uh, justified, others were not. Um, you know, that's that's fine. But things like the FA charges that we've been getting for like circling around referees, and then you can find other examples of other teams doing it to a much higher extent and they get away with it that's the kind of thing that drives me mental Uh, Steve says I've been watching the Arsenal longer than I care to remember and I feel we are on the verge of something like never before do you agree Harry I feel like we are in a place where if we can get that lift off and by lift off I mean I mean win a league or you know win something significant we're, we would be in a stronger position moving forward than I can ever remember Arsenal being in. You know, we remember when we got Ramsey and we had Wilshire and Kieran Gibbs and Oxlade-Chamberlain. Do you remember all that? And People were talking about, you know, this is the new group, the new generation. That wasn't it. This is it, though. You know, you look at the ages of some of those players. Saliba. Hopefully we can tie him down to that new contract. Gabriel, Ben White, Ramsdale you know, you move further forward and you look at people like Odegaard and you look at Saka, Martinelli and Ketia. Even Jesus at 25 years old, you look at that group and you think, we could be in a really strong position for the next four or five seasons. And that is incredible to think of because, yeah, we'd be looking to add players and we'd need to make more additions and we need to do all that. But we're just at a place where you feel like the foundations are there now. And that is really, really exciting, I think. Uh, Nav says, Harry, do you think Arteta could pull up with a Jesus masterclass against Man City? What I mean is, do you think he could be saying March to keep the opposition guessing? If you're talking about the Man City game that is due to be played next Wednesday, I think we're a million miles away from that. I don't think that Jesus will feature in that. Um Difficult to say, isn't it? So difficult to say. Uh, what I will say is that Arsenal have been very, very quiet or very reluctant to give too much information about Jesus and his injury and how long they expect him to be out for. Whenever they've asked been asked that question, they've kind of batted it away and been quite quiet about it. You know, wanted to keep it under wraps, and that's fine uh, by me. But yeah, maybe he will be back sooner than we initially expected, but not that soon, uh, in my opinion. Uh, let's uh, take a few more. Don't forget to leave a like on the video, by the way, guys. Uh, we've only got 62 likes on the board, but there is over 230 of you with us. There's no reason why we shouldn't have at least 100 on there. So please do leave a like. It really, really does help. And subscribe, of course, if you're new. Uh, well, so we've got Tired Ganosaurus says, although every game is hard, what are your thoughts on Jesus being ready for the tougher run? Will he be like a new sign-in? I don't want to use that. Old cliche of it'll be like a new signing, but obviously he gives us a boost when he comes back. You know, he does, and um, and that's that's key. Uh D'Aguene says, Why would clubs limit their potential revenue? UEFA is limiting them. Why fans expect 90 million pounds to be spent for Mudric while recovering club while requiring clubs to live within their means? Yeah, but again this is the point, my friend. If you if you limit it for everyone then transfer fees go like that. They they decline dramatically because no one can pay £90 million. Now you've got clubs that can pay £90 million and clubs that can't. As I say, you'll never get it completely level and it shouldn't be level. It should be based on what clubs earn, I believe. But football needs a reset. I think the transfer fees have gotten out of hand. The contracts have gotten out of hand the money in the game has gotten out of control. Everything just feels to me like it badly needs a reset because, I mean, even now, like, look, I don't care who buys Man United, okay? Uh, Whatever. It's none of my business. But, like, you look at who's interested in them. There's a uh, Qatari fund looking at Manchester United. And, listen, there are question marks about the whole Qatari regime. We went through all of that during the World Cup. I'm not going to Pick that up again. um You know, I wasn't massively educated around it then, and I'm still not now. So it would be wrong of me to sit here and go on this long tirade about why it's bad. Obviously, there are things that need addressing, and and I know that. And you know, I'll leave that to the people that know it better uh, than me to talk about it. But if they take over Manchester United for argument's sake, we've essentially got states running football clubs. The soul of our game is slowly dying. Now, I'm not saying American billionaires are necessarily much better, right? There's obviously things that need to be questioned there as well. And I'm not, you know, seeking to sort of divert away from that. But like, just where are we going with all this? And I just feel like it all needs a reset. And the only way to do that is to apply some kind of blanket thing that deals with This for everyone. I don't know. It's difficult to say. Uh, Des says, is it true? Ticket prices are rising by 5% again next season. Correct. Uh, Correct. The prices are going up again. Um, I mean, I'm not happy about it, obviously, as a season ticket holder. But I expected it. Everything's gone up here, you know, and I'm sure it's the same in other countries as well. But everything's gotten ridiculous here. Even the price of toilet rolls has gone mad. Honestly, it's gone nuts. My energy bills in my home, in comparison to what they were, I would say they've nearly tripled. Genuinely, like, to the point where there are people that have to choose between heating and eating. That's where we are in England at the moment. And so I'm not happy about this because... It's obviously another 5%. I have to find every year to renew it. But am I surprised? No, that doesn't make it right. I'm not defending the decision. But as a business, if everything's gone up and your running costs have gone up, you are going to raise that price. So when people saw that, they shouldn't have been surprised. What I like, though, is the new um, approach. I don't know if people have seen that. There is a, uh, the way the season tickets are going to work now is that you're going to be able to, Purchase your season ticket just for the 19 league games or with the cup options as well. Um, I think that's right. And basically, so you'll be able to save a bit of money if you don't want to go to the cup games, for example. Whereas before, you'd pay in advance for them. If we didn't fulfill them, you'd get that money credited back the next year. But you're not having to fork out essentially um, for those up front if you don't want to. If you want to, you can. But that's up to the individual. Do you know what, guys? I'm going to leave it there. Um, thank you so, so much for tuning in, as always. Uh, I'll catch you all very, very soon with more. In fact, I'll catch you all tomorrow. Uh, we'll be doing a preview of the game at around about 12, 12.30 p.m. So very much looking forward to that. Um, we'll break down the game against Brentford, which is coming up, which is just around the corner. And uh, we'll be looking into Brentford in a bit of detail as well to try and understand how it is that Arsenal should approach this one. Lots of content to come. Like, subscribe. We'll be bringing you post-match on Saturday evening, of course. And after the game, within about an hour of the full-time whistle, we'll be bringing you post-match player ratings. Also, uh, if you are a member on the Another Slice platform, if you want to check it out, link is in the description below. I'll see you all soon. Check out the Martin Odegaard piece. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll make great bedtime reading. All the best, guys. Goodbye. (laughs)